I'll tell you about one of my favorite moments of being a father. Our littlest boy, Jonah, he's about, uh, he's almost two years old now. We have three of these things, three little boys. Um, <laughs> this feeling is true for all of my kids, but um, just one of my favorite feelings as being a dad, and I don't know if it's because he's my son or whatever it is, and I experienced this for all of them, but when Jonah got old enough to kind of start walking around, and now he's like a full-on walker and whatnot, but like I could put my hand down and put my finger down, and he would take my finger, and I could lead him wherever I want him to go, right? Um, I could lead him safely across a parking lot if it was, a, if it was something that he needed to get through. Um, I could lead him to something that he wants to see. There's just something that always spoke to me about being able to lead my children like that. But now, and I'm not sure when Jonah made this transition, but now Jonah is old enough where now he comes to me, and he reaches out to me to grab my hand um, and lead me. Just yesterday, we were in the driveway, um, and he said to me, he said, come, daddy, pull. And he reached out his, his hand to grab mine, and he wanted to lead me back to our pool, um, not because he wanted to go in, but because he knows he can't go around that if I'm not with him or if a parent's not with him. Um, really, what he wanted me to do is see how many more dead frogs had collected in the filter basket. He wanted me to walk over, pull up the thing, and look inside and see how many dead frogs. Um, it's the little things. Uh, for as neat as it is to be, um, to be able to lead Jonah like that, it is just wonderful to be able to be led by him, to what excites him, to where to where he wants to go. And I don't, I don't quite know when Jonah made that transition, but he grew, he matured enough to be able to do that. I say that because our faith, your faith, is meant to be like that too. At some point, to make that transition from just being someone who is led by others to being someone who is capable to take someone else by the hand and lead them down the path of following Jesus. And I'm not just talking about, um, for the very first time, lead people who don't know Jesus, but people um, who you're sitting next to now or who you're in community group or who are even in your family. Eventually, you were made to make that transition from just being led um, also, also to being able to lead others. And so this morning, we're going to wrap up our All In series by talking about that idea. We started this series four weeks ago as really a way to kick off our church year and to really kind of set, um, kind of set the arrow in the, in, in the direction of going all in on God's mission. And the first week we talked about uh, our call and really our opportunity um, to love people where they live. And so if we're able to love people who we live with and work with um, and ride the bus and, and eat lunch next to, in a way that somehow reflects the way God loves them, we will show them God's own heart. And that's something that we can do. A few weeks ago, we then talked about uh, our, our kind of opportunity to invite people to come and see Jesus for themselves. Increasingly, this world is saying to itself, can anything good come from the church? Can anything good come from Christians, from Christianity? Um, it's hard to explain that, but we can invite people to come and see. Last week, we talked about mercy, how we have an opportunity um, to extend mercy to people, to extend compassion to people. And when we do that, even in the face of adversity to us, people who experience it will be inspired to come and follow Jesus for themselves. And this morning, we're going to kind of wrap this up with our opportunity, or really, 
our responsibility as a church and as individual Jesus followers um, to lead people to follow Jesus, to follow him further. Now, if you're new to this whole church thing, or if you're not a Jesus follower, this might be something that is strange to you or um, that you don't quite think that's what church is all about, but it, it is what it's all about. And if you've been coming for a while, if you've been following Jesus for a while, this is something that you should know. This is something that you should, this is something that you should really um, already be doing. This is not something that we have made up as a park church distinctive. This is uh, what it means to be a Jesus follower from the very beginning. You know, Right after he was raised from the dead, he gathered, Jesus gathered all of his closest followers, his disciples. And what did he say to them? He said to them, go and make disciples. Right from the beginning, disciples make disciples. Um, Jesus' followers lead other people, lead other people to follow Jesus. But the problem is, for a lot of us, we don't. Our faith hasn't taken that step. It hasn't gone through that transition that Jonah uh, went through. If you're a Jesus follower and you're here and you're listening to me, I want you to really like, stop and consider, am I someone who can take someone else by the hand and lead them down that path? Can I do that? Am I doing that? Or am I still just someone who uh, comes to be led by others. And we all need to be led by others for the rest of our lives. But we also have this responsibility to make this transition um, and lead other people. I bet if you were to stop and think about your own faith development, to think about that, um, you could probably name the person or the series of people who have had a hand in that in your life, who have taken you at various points in your life and held your hand and walked you down the road of following Jesus. For me, there's been a number of people um, the one who sticks out to me is a guy named Gary. When I was uh, a high school kid, I had just become a Christian, and this guy Gary was one of the leaders in the youth group. And Gary was someone who took me by the hand and led me down that path of following Jesus. He, he talked to me about faith. He kind of um, helped me understand scripture a little bit, and he kind of taught me how to pray a little bit, and he was there for me. I bet if you think, you could probably think of that person for you or those people for you. What I'm wondering this morning, though, is can you now be that person for someone else? And if not, why not? Make no mistake about it, we all have our reasons why we haven't made that transition, why we haven't done the thing that Jonah did. Um, we're just not sure of our faith. We're just not sure of God. We're just not sure of ourselves. And so we don't feel like we've walked that road long enough to have the audacity to think we could actually take someone else by the hand and lead them. Maybe we're afraid um, that we don't have all of the answers. What happens if someone asks a question and we're not equipped to give it, right? We're afraid that we just, we just don't know what to do. Or maybe we're not good enough. Maybe our example isn't high. Our faith isn't mature enough. And all of these reasons are like, yeah, they're they're good, they're legitimate, they're reasonable, they're understandable. We just don't feel like we're ready. The thing I want you to hear and the thing we want to close this series with is that you are ready. You are more ready than you realize. Even without all the answers, even without the mature faith, even without knowing um, everything that you need to do. So as is typical for us here at Park Church, we're gonna let Jesus be our model. If we're gonna follow Jesus, we're gonna follow him here too on how to lead 
other people um, to follow after him. So we're going to open up with a story that's really, it's just one of my favorite stories in all of uh, Scripture. It comes in the Gospel of Luke. It happens on Easter. The Friday beforehand, Jesus is, of course, crucified, and he's dead, and he's buried. And then on Saturday, in this Jewish culture, um, it, was, it was the day of rest, and no one could really do anything. So all they did was they sat with it, and um, they sat in their grief, they sat in their loss, and they sat in their questions. And then on Sunday, they could get back to work. And they got back to work, and there were reports that maybe Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb anymore. Um, there were reports that there were angels and things like this. But for the most part, the people who followed him closely just couldn't believe that anymore. And they decided to leave. They decided to walk away. And so we're going to look at a story of two of his like, kind of followers who were walking away. And so it comes in uh, the very last chapter of Luke, chapter 24. And we're going to open like this. And I think my slide thing isn't working, so... I'm pointing to you, Andy. All right, here we go. Here's how Luke opens. He says, you could read it up there. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, two of these disciples, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, the important detail here in this story is that they are walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was an important city for a number of reasons. I mean, it was the religious center of that culture. It was, it was the holy city. It was where God lived. But for them, on this morning, it was even more important because Jerusalem was the place where Jesus was crucified. Jerusalem was the place where Jesus was dead and was buried, and they didn't know it yet, but that he was alive. So when they are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they are walking away from God they are walking literally away from Jesus. And uh, as we'll see in a minute, in a very real sense, they are walking away from faith. They're no longer disciples. They're just two of them. They're kind of followers, but not really. They're walking away. And look at, look at what happens. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. He kind of sidles up next to them, and they don't quite know it's him. He goes with them. He walks with them. He joins in on their discussion. It's not his road. It's their road, and he decides to go with them. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't say, hey, boneheads, where are you going? He doesn't uh, you know, look at the Father and the Spirit and be like, get a load of these guys. We don't need them. He doesn't run to them and grab them by the cloak and stop them and shake them and say, hey, what's wrong with you? How could you be walking away from me? He doesn't do that. He goes with them. He joins them. They're looking sad. They're, they're, their faces are downcast. They're looking down at the ground. And he simply goes along with them for this walk. And he asks a question that for those of us who are trying to follow Jesus, it's just the right question to ask people all the time. And here's what he has to say. He said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. What are you discussing? On one hand, this is a very kind of um, vanilla question. But on the other hand, he is asking them, what's the thing that's most important to you right now? What's the thing that's making you sad? What's the thing that's making your life hard? 
Because I, Jesus, am gonna, I want to come alongside you and meet you there in that thing. I want to walk alongside you in that thing. What is, what is the thing what is the thing that's the hardest? They respond to him in great length. It's too long for the slide, but they respond to him in great length because people who are going through hard things, who are walking through life sad, downcast, hopeless, they want to talk about the things that matter most to them. And this is what, this is what happens. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in, Jer- in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? Now, of course, the irony is Jesus is the stranger to whom these things have taken place, and he's the only one who actually does know what happened there. And Jesus, I think he picks this up, and now he's going to mess with them. He says, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. And then Cleopas, or whoever it is who's speaking, says, But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped he would be the one to redeem. And then they go on to explain what had happened, that the body was missing and the women gave their testimony, and it was questionable, uh, and, and, and they didn't know what was happen, happening, and so they're walking away. And here, here is why they are actually and truly walking away, because the thing, the person who they had put their hope in, who they had placed their faith in, who they had organized their whole entire lives around, who they had left everything behind to come and follow, that person, that thing, that cause, it failed them. At this point, Jesus was a failure. Their hopes, what they had put their hopes in, had just been destroyed. They had hoped that he would be the one to redeem them. And redeem is one of those words, it comes out of um, like the slave market. You bought a slave back, you redeemed a slave out of slavery. They had hoped that he would be the one to redeem them to buy them back, to take them back out of the things that made their lives awful, that made their lives hard. Things, things like the way the Roman Empire was there and was oppressing the Jewish people. He was going to be the one to fix that. Things also like the way that for them to maintain their relationship with God, it was just impossible. All of the guilt, all of what's called sin, all of the ways that they have turned and walked away, Jesus was going to be the one who was going to redeem them, who was going to pull their lives out of the pit. They felt stuck. He was going to make them unstuck. But now they are stuck. Now they are unredeemed. Now they are left without hope. They had hoped that he would be the one to redeem them into a better family who would redeem them into a better community. And when they followed Jesus, they experienced that. They experienced life like that, and they loved it. But now, the family's lost. The community is broken. They had hoped that he would be the one to redeem them to a life with purpose, to a life that's truly worth living. And when they followed him, they experienced that. They had a chance to walk with him, to serve people, to change people's lives. It wasn't nine to five anymore, but now, back to the grind. Back to nine to five. Back to being kind of lost. They had put their hope in this man. And what they tried, 
what they gave up, where they put their eggs. It just simply didn't work. It simply didn't work. Now, if we pause there and we go from the first century to the 21st century, I wonder if these two pseudo-disciples, I wonder if they sound anything like the guy who you work with or the person who lives two doors down from you or your son or your sister. Does it sound anything like the woman who you work with who married the wrong guy, who kind of has a drinking problem, uh, who is probably abusive, and she had the kid to try to save the marriage, and it turns out that the kid is now the thing that's trapping her in the marriage, and who had, um, who had people in her life who gave her life meaning, even though that was so hard, and those people have, have now died. And now she's angry at God because of that. And so what she does is she pours herself into work, and she pours herself into working out because she says, if I can project outward success and beauty and health, people will never know what's going on inside. And she's starting to see that that facade is just not going to do it. And so she says to herself, I had hoped that the husband and the kid and the work and the body would redeem me. It's not. Or does it sound like the guy who happens to be your boss who has the education, who got the master's degree, who got the raise, who got the promotion, who got the position, who has the money, who has the house, who has the wife, who has the car, who has the vacation home. And they're doing it to prove to themselves, to prove to their peers, to prove to their dad that they're better than this, that they can do this. And when they've done it, when they've proved it, they've only found out it's actually not meaningful. It doesn't actually do anything. And now they're sad and walking away. And they're saying to themselves, I had hoped that the things would be the thing to redeem me, to give my life purpose, to give my life belonging. And it turns out it's not happening. It's not working. We are meant to see the people around us, those people who suffer like this, the people who project happiness, but you know, inside they're not. We're meant to see them in these two sad sacks. And we are meant as Jesus followers to follow Jesus here on this road to walk with them, to go alongside them. Because up until this point in the story, you, no matter where your faith is, you could do every single thing that Jesus did here. Because all he does is he sees them with their faces downcast. He decides to join them, to walk alongside them, to ask good questions about what they care about. And then he's going to take, take them by the hand and lead them. You can do that. You can enter into people's pain. You can join people on their road like this, and you, you have the opportunity to take them by the hand and lead them to Jesus, or lead them further down the road of following Jesus, or lead them over that thing that they can't get over. Maybe they need your hand, and you can lead them over that. Because there's two things, there's two pieces of knowledge that you have as a Jesus follower that they don't have. If you use these pieces of knowledge um, in anything but humility or in anything um, that makes you feel better than them, it proves that you don't quite understand it. Here are the two things that you know that they don't know. The first thing is that you know that the thing that they're putting their hope in is not meant for them to put their hope in. It's not going to work. And you know it. They don't know it. But you know it. The second thing you know is where they can put their hope and where they can find life and where they can find community and in whom they can be redeemed. 
And you know that because you've lived it. As a Jesus follower, it's yours to know. It's not yours to hold on to. It is, uh, it is yours. It's yours to share. You can look at them and say, well, gosh, of course things aren't working out. Of course every step is harder than the last. Look at what she's putting her hope in. Look at what she's putting, look at who she's following. Of course things aren't supposed to work because those things aren't meant to bear the weight of happiness and, and, and joy and peace. Of course things aren't working, but I also can see and I know inside of my bones, I know where she can put her hope. I know where she can um, place her faith. In a sense, as Jesus followers, you can understand their pain in a way that they even can't. I mean, they're experiencing it, and you, don't you can't understand that, but you do understand its source, and you do understand its solution. Because you know, as a Jesus follower, you know what God has done for them. You know what God has done for the world when he gave himself in his son to redeem people from the things that make lives hard, from the things that threaten us to redeem people from death themselves. And God did that for the world, which means that God did that for that woman. And God did that for your neighbor. And God did that for your son. And so it's why you, you are uniquely placed along the path, next to them on the road, in a position to take their hand and say, come on. There's another way. Even without a faith that is super mature, even without certainty, even without being able to give all of the knowledge and all of the wisdom and being able to explain all the scriptures, up until this point in the story, you can do every single thing that Jesus has done, even if you don't have all that. And I say up until this point, because at this point, Jesus then explains all the knowledge, gives all the wisdom, and uh, opens up all the scriptures. He does something here that we're not going to be able to do. So look at what he has to say uh, here. Then he said to them, How foolish you are and slow of heart to believe. All the prophets had declared, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And you might have so little knowledge of faith that you're like, prophet, that's like what you get when you sell something for more than you bought it for. Um, that might be where you are. It would have been awesome if, G if uh, Luke would have asked these two, like, hey, why don't you tell us what, they like, what Jesus told you? That would have been super helpful, not only for his book, that, but that would have been really helpful for us. This is the point of the story, though, where a lot of us just get stuck, or a lot of us stop, because we want to be able to help people down the road of following Jesus. That's something that's within us. But we get to this point in the story, and not just this story, but like our story, and we say, like, what if this person asks me a question that I can't answer? What if they, like, I don't have all the answers. Jesus seems to have them. I don't have them. So I can't follow Jesus here. This is one of those things with following Jesus that's just kind of strange. We are told to follow Jesus knowing full well we can never become like Jesus or, like, reach Jesus' perfection. We're told to become like Jesus knowing that we will always fall short and we can never do that. And so... Um, just a few things. One is uh, there's this fear, there's this idea out there that we have to speak on behalf of Jesus because he can't speak on behalf of himself. And so we have to get it just right. 
or else it's never going to get communicated. Here's the thing. Jesus is alive, and he speaks for himself, and he does it every day. If Jesus wants to say something to that person, he's going to figure out a way to say it, and he's probably going to use your faulty words, like your wrong word, and that's totally okay. That's, that's totally part of the plan. That's one thing. The other thing is you might not have all the answers, but I bet you have some of the answers. And it's possible that you're just not used to talking about it. You don't have practice talking about faith because it's not something that we talk about in the rest of our lives very much. This is, this is one of the unintended consequences of community groups. It's why we, um, one of the reasons why we invest so heavily in them because being in a community group like this, it gives you an opportunity to practice talking about faith. And you could say things that are kind of wise and great, or you can say things that are kind of like silly and foolish, and no one's going to make fun of you because you're all in this together, and you learn. You're able to sit there and listen to other people who are more experienced, and you can hear how they talk about faith. That's a, it's a place to learn. Um, one thing with following Jesus is there is something to learning. Maybe this is your time to learn something that you don't know. You know, look, join a group and um, latch on to someone who is a little further down the path from you and ask them to teach you. Um, in a few weeks in your program, you're going to see that we're going to have um, some membership classes. That's an opportunity for you to come and learn how you can learn here at Park Church. Um, we have Bible reading cards and a Bible reading plan. It's on the website. Try reading the Bible. Ask someone who's doing it um, to kind of help you understand it. Now's the time to learn. It's not going to hurt to learn more so that you can talk a little bit. But the third thing I'll say about this, and this is really kind of the most important, You can't do what only Jesus can do. You can only do what you can do. So to think that you can walk into a situation and know how to explain everything, know all the answers, have all the wisdom, you just can't do that. That's Jesus' job. You can only do what you can do. And God has put you there to do what you can do. So the way that you are going to explain faith to someone else is not going to look, it's not going to look like the way Jesus did. It's going to look like the way you do. When I think back to Gary, the guy who had an important part in my life, I mean, I was in high school, so at the time, I thought Gary did have all of the answers. And I'm like, how did this guy who's like a part-time UPS driver who eats too much McDonald's, how is he the anointed one who has all of the answers, right? I mean, it, it turns out he didn't have all the answers, but he had, a, you know, he had a bunch of tools in his belt. He knew how to talk about his own faith. He knew how to talk about what God was doing in his own life, and he could... He could do that with me and model that for me. He knew enough about scripture to say, hey, Matt, it sounds like you're dealing with this. Let's open to that part of scripture and see if we can find an answer there. He knew enough about prayer, which you don't need to know anything about prayer to pray because it's just talking to God. But he knew enough about it to be able to model that for me and to be able to teach me how to do that. But the thing that, like, the tool in his belt that had the most impact was that he was there for me. It wasn't his words as much as his actions. He was there for me. I'll never forget the one time um, my girlfriend dumped me. This was in high school, and it was like the biggest deal at the time. Um, and she dumped me, and I was feeling just terrible about myself and just awful and all that kind of thing. And so I called Gary, and I was like, hey, this is what happened. Gary's like, be there in 15 minutes. He came. He picked me up. We went to uh, probably McDonald's. And, um, and he didn't, he didn't walk along the road with me, but he drove along the road with me. Um, I was always sitting in the passenger seat of his car. Um, and we drove and we would drive, and he met me where I was. He met me in that pain. Um, he knew that that road wasn't as bad as 
as, as I thought it was. But he joined it on me any, he joined me on that road anyway. And he walked, he walked it with me. And he asked me the questions about what was most important. And then he, um, he found a way to kind of turn it back to like, well, what does God have to do with this? Maybe how does faith, maybe how does faith change, change that kind of thing for you? He, he, didn't, he, didn't have, he didn't have all the answers, but he could show me with his actions. And it's interesting because for these two pseudo-disciples, it wasn't finally Jesus' knowledge or, or wisdom or explaining all the scriptures. It wasn't that that actually did it for him. It was his actions. Luke will go on to tell us that they reach Emmaus. They get there. It's dark. Um, Jesus is out ahead of them. He's going to start going. You see, at this point in the story, he's leading them. These two followers are like, hey, Jesus, or they don't know it's Jesus yet. Um, they're like, hey, you, uh, don't go any further. Come with us. Stay with us. We're going to have a meal. And so Jesus is like, okay. And so he, he sits down at the table. He takes a loaf of bread that is probably a lot like this over here. He takes that loaf of bread, and after giving thanks, he blesses it, and he broke it. And then, Luke says, um, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight, which is a bit strange. It's not his words that really did the trick. It was when Jesus served them. When Jesus showed them who he was with his actions, that's the thing that actually did it. The most memorable thing that Gary did for me wasn't the things he said, it was what he did for me. And that's something that you can do right now without having any of the words that faith requires, without having any of the insight, without having any of the knowledge. You can go and love where you live. You can go and have compassion and mercy on someone, even in the face of adversity, and that is going to show them who God's heart is, what God's heart is like. These two, they go back to Jerusalem. They tell the rest that they recognize Jesus, and then they get back on the path of following Jesus. Now, here is... Here's where it all comes down to. Here's, here's where I really want you to, um, this is what I want you to hear. None of this, none of this happens without Jesus' basic decision to see someone who is walking away sad, walking away in pain, and to go to them and join them and walk with them so that he could lead them back to himself. None of this happens without that decision to lead them. You are all sitting here because someone made that decision for you. That's why this building is here. Because someone made that decision to be about that here in Monmouth County. None of that happens without someone's decision to lead you down the path. And the mission that God has for us, none of it happens without you making this decision too. Without making the same transition that Jonah made from just being someone who is led to being someone um, who can lead others. If you are sitting there and thinking to yourself, I still don't have it. I, I still don't have what it takes. I'm not capable. I'm not called. I'm not ready. Here's what I want for you. I want you to change your mind about that. Ask God to help you. But stop believing that you're not ready because you are ready. Because it's what we need. 
It's what the mission of God here at Park Church needs. What we need is men and women who are ready to not just be led, but to take that step and to lead someone else to follow Jesus. It's what we need because it's what God needs. Not in the way that God needs something from us, but God has designed the church and this church to work that way, to enlist you in his service, to bring people to know him. And most importantly, because it's the most important thing in the world to Jesus himself, it's what the world needs. It's what your neighbor needs. It's what the woman at your office needs. It's what your son needs. It's what your sister needs. Parents, it's what our kids need. Men, it's what our families need. Women, it's what our families need. It's what the person who's grieving, who can't figure it out, it's what she needs. And the person who is experiencing a new health, health issue, it's what they need. And the person who you know who just looks lonely and lost and sad and downcast and is walking away from it all, walking away from life, it's what they need. They need you, not someone else, you, to take them by the hand and lead them on the path of following Jesus. To lead them to a hope that will actually save that will actually redeem, that will actually deliver. They need you. And so if we are going to go um, all in on God's mission for Monmouth County, to reach people, to invite, to inspire, to lead people to follow Jesus, we don't need someone else to decide to do it. We need you to decide to do it. And so I want you to decide to do it and ask yourself, who is that person? Who, who could I be a Gary for? Who could I uh, do that for? Our invitation for you is to take the lead, to go all in on God's mission with us. I'm going to wrap up this series by introducing the next series. We have a congregational meeting that's starting in some amount of minutes. I have three minutes to speak. Um, <laughs> I did the math. Uh, our next series is going to be a series called Not Alone. It's going to look like this. There are things that we face. There are things that people like the two disciples, people like they face. Um, there are things that the woman at your work and your neighbor and your son and your sister-in-law, um, they face these things. And they're questions that make us say, am I the only one who feels this way? Am I the only one who experiences this? Am I the only one who, am I alone in this? Over the course of the next two months, we want to invite those people, and invite you in this too, to come and hear that you're not alone in this, that they're not alone in this. Because there's a real strong chance we're dealing with it. More importantly, God is with them. God is with you in it. And the good news of Jesus has real life to speak into those issues. We're going to be talking about eight things that really matter most that make life hard, that make life difficult. And so we made cards that look like this, and on the back of them, they have a list of all of the different messages and the, and the different dates, and we want you to be able to take some and say, hey, um, someone I know who doesn't come here is really dealing with like addiction. Like Their family is, is struggling through it. Like October 21st, I'm gonna put my resources towards, it, towards inviting them to that day. Um, or someone who's just lonely, who's isolated. November 11th, I'm gonna invite someone. So, we want you to take a stack of these um, 
and bring these and be able to actually use them to invite people, to invite people in. This is, this is a way for you to come alongside the road of people um, who are walking away sad, downcast, and lonely. So that's, uh, that's going to start next week, and I'm really excited for that, and I hope you are too, and I'd love to see you invite someone uh, into that. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you have designed this world so that we are a, um, an integral part of what you're doing. We thank you that you have given us this mission as a church to lead people to follow you. We pray that you would work through us to do that, to execute on that mission. Uh, for those of us who don't think that we have it, who don't think we have what it takes or are smart enough or wise enough or mature enough in faith, whatever it is, we pray that you would show us that it doesn't matter if we're ready, you are ready and we're ready enough and we can start. Give us courage, give us humility, give us strength, give us uh, compassion and mercy to want to see people come and follow you. Lord, give us the faith in you that knows that we don't have to be perfect because you are perfect. And you take our most feeble efforts and you make them what we could never hope to do on our own. Jesus, we want the people of Monmouth County and beyond to come to know you and follow you. As a church, we want to go all in on your mission. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would make that happen through whatever means necessary. We give ourselves to you, Jesus. In your name we pray as we celebrate your meal now. Amen.